When we talk about Antichrist, we are referring to one of two things. We are either referring to anti as in against, or a much less known, a much more subtle element is you can define it as another or instead of. When you look at the Greek term which defines out this antichrist, it actually lends to one or the other. It could be anti, and that's very overt. When you see someone that stands against the things of Christ, that's pretty obvious. But what we don't see is that antichrist is just as much replacement or something other or something that takes the place of God's priority in your life. That is absolutely a definition of antichrist in the Greek. So we can spin it either way. You can say, well, some, I'm kind of doing this stuff. It's good stuff, but it kind of knocks Christ out of that priority place. It still is defined, according to the Greek, as Antichrist. Now, the Bible talks about that there are what? First John 2.18. Dear children, John said, same guy writing the book of Revelation. This is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. One's singular, one's plural. So what's going on? The Bible does this a lot. It says there is tribulation, and then there is the great tribulation. There is days of the Lord, then there is the day of the Lord. There is an angel of God, and there is the angel of the Lord. It will constantly bounce back and forth, saying, listen, the concepts kind of go throughout history, but they will culminate ultimately in specific individuals or time periods. In the same way, we have noticed that throughout history, there's been Antichrist stuff all the time, right? I mean, let, let's, even if we wanted to say it's one particular figure within recent history, how many of us, if we were studying scripture right here, right now, and Hitler was alive, do you not think we're all absolutely convinced this guy's the Antichrist? I mean, he's dead on what you were expecting, I mean, the whole worldwide persecution of the Jews, the same way he acted, the arrogance, the blaspheme against God, the whole thing. I mean, this guy's, I mean, he's perfect, but he was not the Antichrist, but he was an Antichrist. He was in opposition to God. He set up something instead of God, which was his reign. Now, it's very hard to talk about Nazism without Hitler. It's very hard to talk about Hitler without Nazism. When a leader rises up and leads a movement or an empire, they almost become synonymous. So sometimes you see the Antichrist talked about, and it seems to be an empire. Other times it seems to be a specific individual. So which is it? Well, that's what we're going to have to study today. But what I want us to understand is, what the Antichrist does is tied to who he is. So the fill in the blank in front of you is this. The Antichrist is Satan's strategic point man in the final battle for mankind. Why do I say such a simple, stupid statement? Well, because Revelation's complicated, so we don't need to make it worse. Let's be pretty basic, right? The Antichrist is Satan's strategic point man in the battle for mankind. With all these visions bouncing around, all this stuff we're studying, it's nice if we could just simplify it, yeah? So we got bad guy. Now, 
Where are we at in this book? In this book? <clears throat> John, as he's receiving all these visions of the end of the world and different pieces about why things are happening, what's going to happen, he gets a series of seven signs. The first sign was he saw a vision of a woman. It's not a real woman. She stands for something. She was symbolic. She is pregnant, about to give birth to a male child. We know that she stands for who? Israel. The male child that was to be born was Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And then the second sign was an enormous red dragon. This red dragon sweeps down to devour the child. And it tells us blatantly that the red dragon stands for Satan. Now we're on to the third sign. That's where we're picking it up today. Would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 13? Revelation 13, verse 1, it's page 873, if you haven't turned there in the Bibles that were handed to you. If they're blue or red, it's page 873. Now what we're going to do is read through this only to verse 10. We're only covering through verse 10. That seems like we should be able to get it done. All right, let's try it. I don't know. All right, we start in verse 1. John's speaking. He's receiving these visions about what he sees. Now, remember, John is not trying to be super creative. God is super creative. John's just writing down what he sees. John doesn't get it. He's a little lost, just like we are. But he's starting to put the pieces together. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword... With a sword, he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask of you now in Christ's name that you would open up your word to us that we might be able to understand some of these things. Lord, we're not going to get it all. If you wanted us to get every detail, you would have spelled it out specifically. Lord, we get the gist. We understand that there are those, that there are institutions, powers, people that stand instead of you. That they offer up things 
that we could trade for you. There are things that we could chase after, things that we may even deem good, Lord, but they are not you. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to understand what allegiance means, what loyalty means, what priority means. Father, as we study the enemy, would you give us sharp minds and allow us to understand you in light of who he is. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's go through this vision a little bit, and we're going to kind of try to hash out who this beast is. So let's see what we have. It says, and the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. You got two pictures there. Number one, why a dragon? What's he look like? Number two, why the sea? So you go, well, what's the dragon look like? We had him described last week. He's got seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns. That sounds a lot like this beast, almost like a mirror image. Did you see that? Seven heads, right? Ten horns, seven crowns. We got to kind of go, all right, what are the heads? What are the crowns? Ah, we'll talk about that. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Now, in ancient literature, the sea was used a couple different ways. We have to kind of pick and figure out what it's trying to say. It could mean the Gentile world. In the Old Testament, many times when it referred to the sea, it would refer to outside of Israel's territory, the Gentile people. Now, they would say of Israel, they would call it the land. If something rose up out of the land, they would say that came from Israel. If it came out of the sea, that was from the other people. Now, does that mean so here? We don't know. Another thing that the sea means is troubled times or confusion. That's another Old Testament concept. So you go, well, does it mean that? Does it mean that someone's going to rise up out of a difficult, confusing, troubled time? Is that what it means? Well, it's very possible. So the dragon stands on the shore of the sea. We now have Satan's figure walking up to the edge of the sea. And it's almost as if he's waiting for or summoning this beast to come out, right? What's the beast look like? It says, and I saw a beast. Now that word just means an animal monster, right? It's not like beast. Oh, I know what a beast is. No, it just means some weird, creepy thing. That's really all it means. And I saw a weird, creepy thing coming out of the sea. He had ten horns, seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had the feet like those of a bear, and the mouth like that of a lion. All right, that's weird. It says he came out of the sea, but we just learned back in chapter 11 that the beast rises up from the abyss. So which is it? Come out of the sea, come out of the abyss. You go, well, it depends on what you're asking. It's demonic, so yeah, it comes out of the abyss. That's what I'm trying to explain. It comes from a demonic source. God would say, but it's coming out. If you want a little bit further clarification about what you're going to observe, it'll either come out of troubled times or it will come out of the Gentile world. All right. Then what? It says he had 10 horns. What are horns? What do they stand for? Bunch of different things. Almost always they stand for some type of power or authority. All right. Now you have to kind of go, does 10, is that significant or is it literally 10 authorities? Well, that's what we have to figure out. And it has seven heads. We'll talk about what the heads are. And it has 10 crowns on its horns. That usually means power. And on each head was a blasphemous name. Now, this is where things start getting a bit more specific. 
What's blasphemy? Blasphemy is attributing anything that's not God to God or anything that is godlike to something else that is blasphemy. Anytime it's messing with God's rightful authority, you have a bit of blasphemy problem, right? So what are these blasphemous names? Why have names on this creature? What's the point? Well, first of all, you can say because it's standing against God. It's standing in place of God. It's trying to lure people to worship it. And anytime you do that, that's automatic blasphemy. So that's one thing. But I'll tell you what, that issue right there, the blasphemous names, took commentators throughout history by storm. Everybody's got an opinion on this. What is it? Why are the blasphemous names there? And what do they stand for? I'll tell you the two biggest guests throughout history. And as a matter of fact, in all the commentaries I studied on this, they pretty much fell into one of the two camps. Number one, one of the biggest questions early on, or one of the biggest guesses early on, was that they stood for Rome. And you would say, why? Well, if you remember back when we started this series, I explained that the whole reason John got kicked off into the island and had these great visions was because of heavy persecution of the church. Why were they being persecuted? The imperial cult. You go, the what? Caesar worship. Remember? In Rome, the leaders called what? Caesar there's a whole bunch of them. As a matter of fact, you'll find out that there were seven really, really significant ones. You go, ooh, maybe that ties in. All right, maybe. But when the Caesars kind of started going, things started getting weird. It started out when Julius Caesar's dad began to start talking about him as if he was divine. That started the ball rolling in a really weird direction. Remember, these guys are just local leaders of power. Now, they're running one of the largest empires ever. So granted, they're going to feel pretty big about themselves, yeah? But when do you slip over into the I'm a God thing? Well, it happens pretty slowly. So first, he starts talking about his son. I think my son is a deity. And he's like, Dad, right? That's how it started. But it began to get a little bit worse. Tiberius, the next guy, he allowed it. People started going, I think you're a god. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. Well, then Caligula shows up. Anybody remember this guy? All right, now he wanted it. He wanted everyone to think that he was a god. Now, a lot of people thought he was a psycho, so they weren't into that, right? But he wanted it. But then Nero came, and he took it up a notch. Nero began to get absolutely berserk. He was killing everybody and he was doing all sorts of bizarre psycho stuff. He was trying to take it even beyond what Caligula had done. But it wasn't until the last one, Domitian, the guy who we believe was in charge when John was writing this, did it hit its ultimate peak, which was what? Domitian blatantly demanded that the whole world worship him as, quote, Lord and God. He changed the Roman Empire to the eternal empire. And you will worship me as Lord and God. Now, you don't get any more blasphemous than that, right? So most people throughout history early on guessed that these blasphemous names absolutely meant Rome because they were the ones that were trying to take on all the names every time they try to make things and go I want you to call me savior. I want you to call me Lord and that was a big problem for the Jews 
Second guess, once you start shifting over in history and start getting a little bit more modern, another group became the absolute target, which was who? The Pope. The Catholic Church and Vatican and Rome began to get slammed with attack. Why? Because there were certain political popes that stepped out and said, I'm absolutely inerrant. Anything I do is absolutely true, no matter what you say. And there began a war of power. And you started going, whoa, 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 whoa. what did you just say? Hold on a second. I don't think we need to walk there. And there was a lot of corruption that hit for a period of time. The reformers immediately said, that's it. The Antichrist is rising out of the Vatican. Absolutely, that's the problem. It's Rome, it's the papacy, and they started going ballistic on it. Now, hold on a second. Is that true? You're like, well, I don't, I don't think so. And all of a sudden, you can start seeing why people are making these guesses. They're jumping around and saying, who is anyone on earth that would dare to pick up any terms of God on earth? All right, so well, this is what we have in front of us, but it goes on. It says, the beast I saw resembled what? You know it resembled a leopard because it was spotted, all right? It's really funny. Everyone's like, and he was trying to explain that it was a leopard. He just saw a leopard. That's it, all right? He's, it looked like a leopard, but it had feet like what? Like a bear, all right? You got big bear feet. That's it. And it had a mouth like that of a lion. All right. Now, when you look at that, you immediately go, I don't know, I'm lost throw the white flag. I give up. All right. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's weird. It's creepy. I'm not going to get it. That would be the case if we didn't have four other passages in the Bible that talk about this guy. As a matter of fact, there are some that go and have the exact same language and explain it for you. That's pretty cool. So let me reveal to you the other passages in scripture. Now you may want to jot these down so you can read them a little bit later. But I would love for you to read for yourself Daniel chapter 7. We're not going to read it here. Let me just recount it for you. Daniel had a vision. The first year he was in Babylon. Babylon was one of the earliest, certainly the way the Bible kind of talks about, one of the biggest world empires and kind of kicked things off. There was a leader by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember all those stories. We saw where Nebuchadnezzar had a vision and there was a gold statue with a gold head and a silver chest. Do you remember all that? Well, Daniel had a dream. And in his dream, he said, I saw four beasts that came up out of the sea. Does that sound pretty familiar? Yeah, okay. So we got beasts coming out of the sea, not new. What did these beasts look like? There was four different ones. First one was a lion that came out and stood up upright. So we have a lion. Number two, a lopsided bear. Three, a four-headed leopard. And then fourth, a terrifying, frightening, powerful beast with large iron teeth with ten horns. Okay, so what do we got? We got everything we just read. Leopard, bear, lion. They've already been explained before. They rose up out of the sea. They just did that in Revelation. Not new, right? But instead, these four creatures were combined into one. That's pretty symbolic. But then he said, out of the ten horns, a little horn boop, pops up, knocks out three horns. 
Then that little horn starts growing bigger and bigger. It has eyes on it and a mouth and starts talking. Okay, this is, yeah, yeah, no wonder he was troubled, right? Okay, you have to do a lot of drugs to get there, okay? So he's got the little horn talking, right? It's growing larger and larger. It starts bragging and blaspheming God, and the little horn grew and defeated the saints, it said. But then God sat on his throne, opened his books for judgment, and the beast and the horn were destroyed. A son of man came, and he was given all eternal authority and power, and he came on the clouds, and then Daniel said, I don't get it. The angel said, let me explain it to you. The four beasts you saw rising out of the sea are four kingdoms. And he actually said that just blatantly. It's four kingdoms. They're not animals. They're kingdoms. Well, why do you look like that? Well, certain animals are known for certain things. Some are vicious. Some are swift. Some are this. Some are that. All right. Cool. Now, we know later on, because we can trace through history, the major kingdoms, who they are. As a matter of fact... The lion was Babylon that Daniel was in, in the first place. Daniel lived when he saw the transition of the kingdoms from lion to what? The bear, lopsided bear. And you go, I don't get it. The Medo-Persian empire, the Persians were bigger than the Medes, so it was lopsided. But there was two parts of them. That's when you began to hear about guys like Darius and Xerxes during that whole 300 era, right? Same thing. That was the next one. The leopard, a really fast, quick-moving animal, was what? Greece, with Alexander the Great. The fourth terrifying beast was not revealed, but the next largest empire to come up to use all types of machinery to destroy the earth was Rome. So we know the fourth beast to be Rome. Now we have all four of those kingdoms mushed together in one critter that's rising up in the end times. Does that mean it's a conglomeration of those empires? Likely. Does that make sense? So it's not super mysterious. But then it says, God will hand over the kingdom to the saints and the fourth beast is a fourth kingdom on the earth which will crush the whole earth. We believe that to be Rome. The ten horns are ten kings of this kingdom. Ten leaders that rise up out of this Roman Empire. The little horn is a new king that arises and he kicks out three kings on his way in and joins the other seven as a kind of a group. He will speak against God and try to change everything to his way. And the saints are handed over to him, Daniel said, for three and a half years. Anybody remember that time? Same time frame as the end times. God will destroy him, and that's that. You go, oh, okay, well, that's that pretty good. So now we got a couple more pieces of it. We know they're kingdoms. So this is likely what coming out of the earth, but a kingdom. Then why does it get so specific? All right, we'll talk about that. Now understand, we see John seeing this vision, and he's like, I don't get it. What is all this stuff coming out? Well, he gets another vision later in chapter 17 that is almost identical. It's a woman riding on a scarlet beast, a red beast. All over the beast are blasphemous names. And you start clicking in and going, I bet you that's the same exact thing. As a matter of fact, here's the vision. The beast had seven heads and ten horns. You go, I've seen that before. That's what the last guy had. 
seven heads and ten horns. The angel then tells him what it means. He said, the beast that once was, now is not, and will come, will come out of the abyss. All right, we got that. The seven heads, he said, are seven hills on which the woman sits. Ooh, that's pretty specific. The seven heads are seven hills. What city's famous for having seven hills? Oh, that's right, the one who said in their title, we're the city that sits on seven hills. <laughs> that would be Rome. Pretty clear. Except Jerusalem also has seven hills. Weird. All right. He said seven heads also stand for seven kings. Five have fallen, meaning by John's day, five were gone. One is alive. The other is to come and last for a while. But the beast is an eighth king that belongs to the seven prior, meaning another king will rise up out of this revived concept of an empire. Oh, that's weird. The ten horns, the angel says, stand for ten kings who don't have a kingdom yet, but they're going to get one in the future only for a short time. They, as a council, give all the authority to the beast and they wage war against the lamb. But the lamb will overcome them. There you go. So when we read this stuff, oh, what's the heads mean? What's this mean? You got to pause, look around in scripture, and it helps explain itself. All right. Is that the only things that we have? No, it's not. Daniel 11 from verse 36 to the end seems to talk about the Antichrist. What do we learn there? We learn that he's an awful lot like another guy in history. Antiochus IV, known as Epiphanes, reigned from 175 to 164 BC. In 169, he plundered the temple of Jerusalem, set himself up in it, massacred the Jews, set up a pagan altar to Zeus, and was an abomination that causes desolation. Just like him, another will come that will almost repeat history. Now, he was defeated by the Maccabean revolt, which is why we have Hanukkah. Remember, we talked about that. Hanukkah is all about getting that guy out. All right. What other? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 12. It says that the Antichrist will set himself up in the temple of the Jews, proclaiming himself to be God and convince people through counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders. All right. There you go. Those are all your Antichrist passages. So, who's the beast coming out of the sea? You got three choices. Ready? Here's your options. Number one, it's an empire. Doesn't matter if it's past, future, whether it's Roman, whether it's something else. Is it an empire? Now, all the other beasts that came out were empires. And you go, all right on, it's an empire. That's awesome. But then it starts getting specific. So, your second choice is, is it a specific worldwide ruler? The Antichrist as in a guy. In the past, everybody thought it was Nero. Why? Because he fit the bill. He was very, very specific to it. And when he died at the age of 32, he committed suicide. It was so thick in people's minds, no one believed that he was dead. So for a long time, everyone was waiting for him to come back to the throne as a mortal wound who had been healed. Then, when he didn't come back, a myth began 
that even though he was dead, he would resurrect and rise the Roman Empire back up. That's how strong the view was. Right now, is it a specific leader like that guy or is it a future leader that will look an awful lot like Nero, perhaps? That's your second option. Empire guy. Third option, both. I would suggest to you that it's the third. As I mentioned at the beginning, you cannot talk about an empire that a man runs without talking about him. They become synonymous. You move back and forth. The beast coming out of it is indeed an empire. Because when you see that one of its heads was wounded and it comes back alive, it didn't say that the head came back alive. It said the beast survived it. The empire survived the hit. But then that empire fuses and it's led by one man who has a right-hand man known as the false prophet who we'll study next week. That is the guy that will do all the miracles for him. The guy that imposes the 666 mark. All that is next week as he gives him authority. All right. Where do we go back? Turn back with me if you haven't turned your page to Revelation 13. We're in verse 2. Wow, that was long. Revelation 13, 2. Remember the dragon sitting at the edge of the shore, this freaky beast comes cruising up out of the sea. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. What does that mean? It means it's demonic in nature, that truly Satan is behind this whole plan. Is this guy possessed? Is this guy empowered? Uh, doesn't matter. I would assume that just like Judas was possessed, so was this guy. There's no reason why he shouldn't be. One of the heads of the beast, remember, and he had a lot of them, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. One interesting thing about that is what did we learn in Revelation 5 about the lamb? The lamb looked as if he had been slain. You think that's not a mimic? You think that Satan doesn't try to counterfeit everything that God does? Oh, well, the lamb looked like it was slain, so I'm going to look like I'm slain too. Look at that. What you Christians have, I got better. Do you remember when Moses did what? Remember he went before Pharaoh, throws down his staff, it becomes a snake. What did the black art magicians do? Threw down their staffs and made a snake. The idea is to constantly counterfeit, go back, one, two, punch every time, try to match it so that whatever the world looks at, they're going to go, well, we have our own version of that. And he lets us do whatever we want for a time. He'd said... The whole world was astonished and followed the beast, meaning that he would even survive that, that this empire, is it possible the Roman Empire will rise up again and everyone's going to go, no way, I thought Rome was gone. Are you kidding me? If it's an empire that survives a wound, perhaps it's this. If it is a man, is it an assassination attempt? That's what a lot of the books say, right? There's this antichrist, somebody takes a shot at him, looks like he's going to die, no, he makes it through it. That's pretty Hollywood, right? They like that idea. Oh, we got to follow this guy. He can come back from the dead. He's amazing. Nobody can shut him down. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon. They worshipped Satan because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast. Let's pause and explain something real quick. When you read this stuff, it always looks far-fetched because you're misreading it. No one's really going to, oh, everyone, oh, let me bow down to this guy. The whole world can't agree on anything. 
So how in the world are they all supposed to bow down to some great empire or bow down to some guy? No one in America is ever going to buy that. They're not going to suddenly just start picking up little idols of them and putting them on their mantles. And you're looking at it wrong. Is that what it means to worship? You sure? Because I don't think so. The Lord told us through Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, that he wanted us to be living sacrifices. That is our act of worship. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? It means to obey and follow in line with what God asked you to do. Give your allegiance over to. That's worship. All right, now let's spin the scenario. There's an empire that everyone gets behind. And the allegiance that you give to that empire by buying into their system is worship. Has nothing to do with the weird, freaky little totems and all that stuff. Get that out of your mind. It's all about allegiance and loyalty. When you have that allegiance and loyalty to something other than God, you are ultimately worshiping who? Satan. That's all I just said. Nothing fancier than that. This is what? Men worshiped the dragon because they had given authority to the beast, and they also worshiped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? You go, Well, so they're impressed with this power. What's the big deal? Because that's an exact ripoff of Exodus 15:11. Who is like thee, O God? Oops, now who's talking about themselves other than God? That's the problem. That's the blasphemy. The beast was given a mouth, just like that little horn, to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. How long? Three and a half years. Same thing. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name in his dwelling place and those that live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. That's a worldwide leader. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb. What's the book of life? It's a heavenly register of all those that are believers. We can get into a whole argument about do they get blotted out, how they get there, what's going on another time. If you're not in there, you're going to fall prey to this guy, right? It belongs to the lamb because he paid for it, who was slain from the creation of the world. What does that mean? Lamb wasn't slain before the world began. Jesus Christ died on the cross only about 2,000 years ago. What are you talking about? I'm talking about it was always the plan. Before we ever showed up on this earth, Jesus was going to die. Why? To show the extent of his love? Redemption was always the plan. He who has an ear, let him hear. Now, a lot of people make a big deal out of that line. Why? Is it just a Jesus line? Jesus used to say that, if you have an ear, listen up. In other words, you're not going to get it right off the bat, so why don't you think about it for a second? Why don't you begin to do a little research, a little study, listen to what I say, begin to understand, is all it means. Why people make a big deal of it is because it's missing something, because that phrase was used seven times earlier in Revelation. 
For what? The letter to the seven churches. It said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That is absent here. So a lot of people immediately go, the rapture. The rapture took the church away. That's why there's no reference to the churches here. They're gone. The other people argue back. If he has power over the saints, clearly they're here. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. That's a quote from Jeremiah 15:2. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. What does that mean? It means it's the way it's going to go. God has things set down and it's going to get brutal. You can sit there and fight back and think that you're going to change the end of the world. It's not going to happen. It will happen exactly the way God said it. Therefore, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Good news? Ah, I don't know. What do we know about the Antichrist then? Here's a running list. You ready? He's a world leader through a world empire. He rises up after ten kings take power, displacing three of them in the process, and he takes charge. Now, where's he coming from? We got three likely origin places. Middle East, Rome, Babylon. Now, Babylon and the Middle East are getting pretty close, right? Same exact area. However, they're slightly different, at least in the way I look at it. Whether you say the Israel region, Babylon's a distance from there. Now, second thing we know about him, he deceives people through signs, wonders, and miracles. Now, he's going to be doing that largely through his buddy, his buddy's going to be kind of the religious magic man. Number three, he's arrogant and makes himself out to be God. Number four, he sets himself up in the temple of God. Now, he can't do that unless the temple is rebuilt. So it's likely the temple's going to need to be rebuilt in Jerusalem for him to do that. I would say he's probably going to win the favor of the Jews by getting it built. That's a great idea. If he can get it built and then take it over, but he stops the sacrifices and takes it over, Next, he persecutes the Jews after pretending to befriend them, and then he persecutes saints worldwide. Then we know that he has a right-hand man, the false prophet, who institutes the 666 mark of the beast. And finally, he leads a war against God's saints in a giant war called Armageddon, and he loses. That's what we know. Who is he? No idea. Is he alive? Don't know. Now, he's a man, so he's going to grow up. You go, well, maybe he's alive right now. Maybe. Is he in power right now? I don't know. Does it ultimately matter? Not really. Here's why. Two things I leave you with as a challenge for this. Let's make it a little bit more practical. Yeah? So now that this guy is going to arrive on the scene, perhaps even in our lifetime, could be before the end of this decade. We don't know when it's going to arrive. Could be another 3,000 years from now. But what we do know is that it will come. So these are my two challenges for you. Number one, do not be deceived. You get it now. You heard all the info. Don't be deceived. I don't care if it's an empire, a government, a person. Don't be deceived. Part of the point of studying the Bible is that the Bible makes it an, oh, I get it. That's the whole point. Don't 
be deceived. Check this out. John 10, 3. Jesus said, speaking of the rightful shepherd, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Right? Here's my problem with all that. There's a lot of garbage being purported on television from allegedly Christian folks. And those programs are thriving. That drives me crazy. Are some of them solid? Sure. Are a lot of them bogus? Yes. And no one seems to know the difference. They're letting this stuff go on. They're supporting it with everything they've got. And no one seems to hear the voice of a stranger. We've got to know the word of God backwards and forwards, know God's words, know how he would answer a question. So when you begin to hear garbage, an alarm goes off. It's got to be that way here. Don't you get that? Because well-meaning people tell bogus things. A lot of times it's because they're well-meaning people and they want to tell somebody something they want to hear. I will tell you that a lot of these bogus teachers have good hearts. They mean well. I'm not telling you that they're bad, corrupt people on the inside. I'm telling you that they're spewing garbage. But they're constantly trying to tell people something they want to hear. That's not helpful. That's damaging. It's anti-Christ. Right? If you hear me, who I mean well, I want to teach you the truth. But if you hear garbage from me coming out that is anti-biblical, an alarm is supposed to go off. You stop me, Lance, what the heck are you talking about? No way, that's not in Scripture. You've got to do that. No matter where you go, no matter what books you read, no matter what radio station you listen to, you must be discerning. Why? Because there's no way this guy's going to become a world leader if he's not subtle and crafty. So he's going to come in real slick. And we've got to watch it. Why not practice today? Right? And know what we're talking about. That's number one. Number two. Don't help him out. What does that mean? It means don't be part of the problem. It's very, very tempting to tell people what they want to hear. When your friends ask for advice, when people are hurting, you're immediately going to want to tell them something that may or may not be biblical. It's not helpful if you do. I know what you want to say. Please don't do that. Find another way to share with them the truth. Don't be part of the problem. Don't continue to perpetuate garbage that's going to help the Antichrist usher in and everyone's going to go, hey, what a great guy. No. We need to be about what God's about. We need to keep re-racking our heads and getting back to the basics and focusing on the right things. We get off on so many tangents. I had a gal last night come up to me after the service and she said, I've recently had one of my friends come to the Lord and we've started up a brand new Bible study for him. And it's so weird because I, she asked questions that I don't even remember. I haven't asked those in years. And I go, oh, I forgot about that. 
And I told her, I said, I kid you not, I think that every believer should have someone like that in their life. So they're always reminded of the basics. Always going back, because we get off on the weirdest tangents. We can listen to a teacher on the radio, we can listen to some speaker in a book, and get off in la-la land, completely detached from what God asked us to do. Love God, love people. Why are we getting away from that? Why are we stepping away from the truth? Oh, because so-and-so is a great speaker. Who cares? If it's not true, it's not true. Period. But he's nice. (laughs) All right? I'm sure he is nice. He's probably nicer than I am, right? Probably got a bigger heart for God than I do. But if he's wrong, he's wrong. If she's wrong, she's wrong. Right? Do not be deceived. Listen, we have way too much info. We know what's going on. There are a lot of little paranoid folks uh, here today that are just like me, where as a kid, I was like, I know I'm going to fall for it. I know I'm going to fall for it, right? Okay, listen, there's so many warnings and so many things explained out. You're not who I'm worried about. It's a person going out, whatever. That's who I'm worried about. Know what we're talking about. Know the word of God inside and out that we might see this guy coming a million miles away and go, you know what? I'm not on his bandwagon. Ain't going to happen. Not here. Not now. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. That Lord, indeed, there is is so many things to be keeping an eye out for. There are so many things that we should be able to see and we don't. Lord, honestly, we tend to be building our kingdom. We tend to be focused on our stuff. We tend to be looking in the wrong direction. And yet, Lord, you spell it out. Even though it's in the midst of these visions, there's enough information in the Bible, Lord, where we can put the pieces together. I think, Lord, as we put the pieces together, it becomes brilliantly obvious to us, you versus the world, you versus Satan. Your ways are not close. They are not the same. No matter how much he counterfeits you, it's not there. And Lord, as we listen to your voice, the stranger seems so odd, so damaging, so wrong. I just pray right now, Father, that you would give us hearts that are discerning, that you would give us the strength to stand, and that you would make us your children to guide others towards freedom and truth. Thank you, Lord, for overcoming the enemy and giving us a sure victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.